Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Man, what's good to be with you this morning? And uh, I told the nine o'clock service, man, I, I could talk for literally the entire time I have allotted, which by the way, they never told me how much time I have to speak. That's awesome. Thank you. I love that. I don't talk very long, but I just love that. And so uh, I told the, the nine, uh, nine o'clock service, I could talk literally for hours about how excited I am to be here. Um, I remember when I was down at the East Campus and still kept in contact with Anthony a ton. And uh, I heard the news that he was leaving to come here to start this. And um, I was not surprised like at all. I just, I just knew, I knew eventually that was going to come one day. Didn't know when it was going to come, but I knew it was going to come eventually. And, uh, and so I've been watching Connect Church from a distance uh, over in Indian Trail, North Carolina, right outside of Charlotte. And uh, it has just been so, so cool to see all that God is doing here, to see how God has moved in just miraculous ways. And I just want you to know, you got a youth ministry and a church back in Indian Trail that's praying for y'all uh, almost on a weekly basis. We pray for y'all all the time and pray for your pastor. And uh, I just love the staff that you have here and and Anthony and uh, Zach and Pastor Justin Beasley. I just love the team that y'all have here so, so much. And I told the nine, nine o'clock services as well, uh, the older I get, which y'all might laugh at that being 24, but the older I get, um, the more I'm learning that it takes a lot of people to get you to where you are. You know, the Lord uses so many different people in your life to mold you and, and shape you into who you are. And um, there are not many people that he has used more than he has Anthony Kendall in my life. And um, I'm not the youth pastor, not the husband I am. He married my wife and I on a last minute notice. Thank you still. <laughs> he did that on the last minute. And I'm just not the man I am without him today. And I, I got to tell you the first time I remember ever talking with Anthony. I remember the morning that he came and met us in our old gym at church. He came into life groups that morning. We were shaking his hands. And, and I remember that and meeting Miss Aaron there. And, uh, but the moment that I really remember that sticks out more than any of them is we were at Panama City Beach, Florida at summer camp that year. And he had been probably with us for, I think, three months at the time. Hadn't been there long, just been there. And uh, we were down at Panama City, Florida, and we're playing volleyball because uh, that's all we did in the afternoons. We just played volleyball for hours. And if you haven't hung out with Anthony on a basketball court, a soccer field, or a volleyball court, what you learn very quickly is Anthony is very athletic, like deceptively athletic, you know? And uh, sorry, and he is, he's just so athletic. And I will never forget one time we're sitting there and the ball trickles over the net and Anthony lays out just parallel to the ground, diving for this ball. And he flips it up with his wrist or whatever and hits the ball over the net, scores the point, And we went crazy. But Anthony is parallel to the ground, diving out and just hits the ground about as hard as you can possibly hit it. And, and you know, it's almost like a mini atomic bomb of like sand explodes, you know, and sand explodes everywhere. And uh, we're like, did our youth pastor just die? Like we've only had it for three months. And uh, I'll never forget. Anthony looks up, wipes the sand off his face. And he says, I think I just caused a small tsunami in China somewhere. And, uh, it was so funny. And uh, I remember that was my first moment that I ever remember. And I was like, I love this guy already. And uh, man, I'm just so, so grateful for him in my life. And, uh, and it's just an honor and a blessing to be here with you today. And, uh, but I do want to say, I say this almost every time I'm a guest preacher somewhere is I just think that our God is too big for me to be here by accident this morning. 
Um, I, just, I just think God is too big to have been surprised on Friday afternoon when me and my wife were driving up here. And I just don't think his plans are altered this morning. I don't think his plans are thrown off. I mean, I believe I'm here by assignment. I'm here, I believe, under, under the providence of God and the will of God, I believe that I'm here for you this Sunday. And um, I believe that you're here as well for that reason. And so I'm just excited to be here. So let's pray together and then we'll dive into God's word together. Lord, I love you. God, I'm just so, so grateful to be a part to this church family this week. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Connect Church and just in the Pigeon Forge area. And I just thank you for the countless stories I've heard this week about how you're using this church in the lives of people. Lord, we know uh, it's nothing to do with Anthony. It's nothing to do with the people here. Lord, it's just, you're an awesome God. And Lord, you can move and you use people. And God, I just thank you so much for that. And I do thank you for Anthony and Zach and for Beasley and the team and the servant leaders to have here. Lord, I thank you so much for all that they're doing in the Pigeon Forge area. Lord, I pray they continue to reach people and you continue to bless. What I pray today as we dive into your word, Jesus, that you'd be honored, or that you'd help us divide your word rightly this morning. And what I pray that we'd walk away encouraged and when, that we'd be doers of the word and not just hearers. So we love you and we're so thankful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be at today. Also do want to give a shout out to everyone live streaming it because I think there's like a group of probably 30 people at First Baptist Indian Trail surrounding my mom right now live streaming this service, which is just pretty awesome. And so uh, shout out to all those people watching this. But John chapter 11 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, I want to ask you this question. How many of y'all just think that it would have been awesome to have walked the face of the earth with Jesus? Wouldn't that have been so cool? And now here's the deal. I don't want to diminish the words of Jesus this morning because Jesus, and I have a hard time wrapping my head around this sometimes, but, but Jesus actually told his disciples, it's better for you that I go so that you can have the Holy Spirit and dwell inside of you, right? And so Jesus actually would say that we got the better end of the deal by having the Holy Spirit with us, which is amazing to think about. But, but I still think it's okay to say that, man, wouldn't it have been awesome if we could just walk the face of the earth with Jesus? All the incredible things that he did. I mean, to watch him take five loaves and two fish and multiply that out for thousands. To, to watch him just speak and the waves of the sea are calm. To watch him look at a blind man and boom, the man can see again. To see Jesus do all these amazing things and specifically to be one of his followers, you know what would have been awesome? Is that you basically would not have had to go to urgent care for like a year right? Like you would not have had to go to the doctor's office for a couple of years. You uh, would have saved a lot of money on Advil and NyQuil. I mean, you just saved all this money because if you have a cough or something, you're with like the great physician as we call him, right? I mean, you're with Jesus. It's just Jesus. Hey, uh, <clears throat> can you um, do something here, right? If you have a headache, just call on Jesus and Jesus is there just to snap his fingers and boom, you are good. And what's funny about that is today, the story that we're inserting ourselves into in John chapter 11, a family has done just that. You have these two sisters named Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus is becoming really, really sick. And so they call upon Jesus to come have Jesus heal their brother. And now what's funny and what I have to imagine is in this story, I have to believe that Mary and Martha would have called upon Jesus with just the utmost confidence. Because you know what? They've seen Jesus heal all kinds of people, haven't they? They've heard about the 5,000 and possibly have seen it, the 5,000 that were fed just by the voice of Jesus. They've seen storms be calmed. They've seen blind people healed and lame people are now walking and people with skin diseases are healed. And they've seen Jesus do this for all these random people. 
Right? I mean, just a guy calls out on the street and Jesus stops and has compassion on him. Just a guy in the crowd or a woman in the crowd, Jesus has compassion on them for seemingly random strangers. And what the Bible goes out of its way to say in John chapter 11 is Mary and Martha and Lazarus are not just strangers to Jesus. Jesus knows this family. In verses three and verse five and verse 36 of John chapter 11, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus loved this family. So this is not just a family who adores Jesus, you know, Jesus has never met them. No, no, this family is one that has a relationship with Jesus. So you'd have to imagine that as Mary and Martha earlier in this chapter send off a servant to go get Jesus, you'd have to think that their confidence level was pretty high. Not only just because they'd seen Jesus do miraculous things, but they'd seen Jesus do miraculous things for seemingly strangers on the road and all these things. And they're probably sending a servant out thinking, Jesus loves us. We, we know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. Certainly Jesus is going to come and save our brother. But you know, if we're reading John chapter 11, honestly, to our shock, to, to our surprise, and just frankly, to our horror, Jesus doesn't show up, does he? The, the time comes and Lazarus' health is getting worse and worse and Jesus simply does not arrive. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, John 11, verse 17, let's read the first few verses together. It says this, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So the Bible's going out of its way there to make sure that we understand that Lazarus is really dead. Yeah, Lazarus is not kind of dead. He didn't just die a few hours earlier. I mean, this book has closed, right? Lazarus is gone. He's in the tomb. The situation is done with and it is over. So Jesus arrives. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles of the way. Many of the Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary, to comfort them about their brother. But as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him but Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. Now, now this is one of those passages where we gotta make sure we slow down and kind of get the gravity of what's going on. But because what's interesting here is Jewish custom actually says that Martha should not do what she just did. Because here's the deal with Jewish custom. If you were a Jewish person and you had a family member die or you had a loved one or a relative die, basically Jewish custom was that you stayed inside your house. You restricted yourself to just your house. And instead of going out and shopping, instead of going out and doing things, instead of doing that, you basically spent a week in the house. You mourned the loss of your loved one. And then members of the community came to you. That's kind of how the Jewish tradition did it. And so that's why it makes sense in verse 19 that it says many of the Jews are coming to comfort them. This is how it goes. Mary and Martha would have stayed in the house. They would have restricted themselves to there and people would have brought them food and people would have came to minister to them. It's really a beautiful picture, isn't it? About them coming to the loved ones who lost their loved one. But what's interesting is when Martha hears the news that Jesus is coming, she breaks the rules, doesn't she? When Martha hears the news, I wonder how that happened. I wonder if someone saw Jesus and they ran inside the house and said, hey, your, your friend Jesus is coming. And I wonder if Martha said, well, it's about time. It's a little too late for that because she runs out to Jesus and this is not a happy greeting, is it? This is not a greeting where it's like, oh, Jesus, I wish that you were here when Lazarus was dying and I wish that you were here. It's, it's not that kind of greeting at all. This kind of greeting is filled with some bitterness, isn't it? 
It's an introduction. It's a meeting that's filled with some anger because in Martha's mind, the reason that she's experiencing this pain and the reason that she's experiencing this suffering is because she called on Jesus and Jesus did not show up. She asked Jesus to come. Jesus loves her family. Jesus knows her family. And so she knew Jesus could solve the problem. And yet Jesus was nowhere to be found when they needed him most. Now, now we have to make sure that we do something together this morning. There's something that I like to call, I tell our students this at First Baptist a lot, that sometimes if we're not careful, we have what I like to call a curse of knowledge when we read the Bible. We have a curse of knowledge. And here's what I don't mean. I'm not saying it's not important that we know our Bibles well, because I think a lot of our issues come from not knowing the Bible well enough, right? I think we could all do from knowing the Bible a little bit better. But if we're not careful, we, we have this curse of knowledge that makes us numb to what the people in these passages were experiencing. So like when the people of Israel are between a Red Sea and between Pharaoh's army, we're no longer shocked or amazed when the Red Sea splits open for God's people, are we? When we read the story of Jericho and they're walking around the walls of Jericho, we're no longer just in awe of the fact that we serve a God who can make the walls of Jericho just crumble because we know that's how the story goes. And as soon as I said this morning, turn to John 11, and maybe more specifically, as soon as I said, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, how many of you know how this story ends already? Yeah. So spoiler alert, if you don't know how this story ends, Lazarus does not stay dead for very long. Okay, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is about to go out. He's gonna say, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out of the tomb and all is well, praise Jesus, right? It's awesome. So if you didn't know that, I'm sorry. You ever hate those people that spoil movies for you before you see them, you know? So if you didn't know that story, that's where we're going in this passage. But if we're not careful, here's what we gotta remember. Mary and Martha do not know that verse 43 is coming. Verse 43 is when Jesus walks out and he looks at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. But what we can do if we're not careful is we forget that these two sisters just watched their brother die. You know, think about how intense of a situation this must have been because we get no indication in the Bible that Lazarus is an old guy. Lazarus is probably a younger guy, maybe late 20s, early 30s. That's probably his age. He's somewhere around there. And how many of you know that late 20s and early 30s, you're not supposed to die because of sickness. That's not the way life's supposed to work. But Lazarus apparently gets sick. And I wonder if Mary and Martha tried not to bother Jesus with it for a while. I wonder if they tried to nurse him back to health. But when it got to a point where they realized, oh my gosh, our brother is gonna die if something doesn't happen soon, they sent the servant to go get Jesus. You know what they had to have figured out? They had to would have thought in their head, okay, it's gonna take the servant X amount of time to get to Jesus. That means it's gonna take Jesus X amount of time to get back here. So I wonder if they had the time and the day in their head that this is when Jesus should show up because Jesus loves us, right? Jesus knows this family. He loves this family. So as soon as he hears the news about Lazarus, Jesus is gonna drop everything he's doing. He's gonna come and save us. So they had to have the time picked out when Jesus should be crossing atop the hill to make their way to their house. And I wonder what that moment was like as the time hit on the date where Jesus was supposed to get there and Jesus is nowhere to be found. I wonder what that was like as they went to sleep and they're like, well, maybe Jesus just got sidetracked. Maybe he had 5,000 people to feed, right? Maybe he had something come up and then the next morning hits and Jesus still is not there. Time continues to progress and as time progresses, Lazarus' condition gets worse, doesn't it? 
I mean, if you just imagine, you've been in the hospital room with people who are not doing well. Well, think about this. They had some medical practices, didn't they? But they don't have anything like we have. There's no oxygen mask. There's no drugs really that he's taken. I mean, you are watching a person and not just a person, they're watching their brother die right in front of them. You know, I have to imagine that Mary and Martha would take turns, one being at the window looking for Jesus and one trying to nurse their brother back to health. Wait a minute, they switch roles. They say, do you see him yet? Do you see Jesus coming? And she's like, no, but he's gotta be coming. Surely Jesus is not gonna leave us here. You know, I really try to put myself in the room and I wonder what Lazarus's last breath was like for Mary and Martha. As he's struggling for breath and then finally he breathes and he doesn't breathe again. I wonder if they just looked at each other with tear-stained eyes wondering, why did Jesus not show up? See, they don't know verse 43 is coming. And they're feeling the weight right now of knowing that Jesus could have done something, but in their mind, Jesus did nothing. So we can pick on Martha a little bit if we're not careful, but let's just be honest. We would probably respond the same way that she responds, wouldn't we? Jesus comes across the hill and there's no, hey, there's no Jesus, I missed you. No Jesus, how you doing? It's Lord, if you'd have just been here. If you'd have just showed up. You know, I have to wonder in a room this size this morning, I wonder how many of us have had those moments in our life. And maybe it wasn't our brother dying, but we've had those moments where we just prayed, Lord, if you showed up, I would not have had to go through that divorce. Lord, if you just showed up, I wouldn't have been in that abusive situation. Lord, if you just show up here and now that my son or my daughter would actually be with me in church and not doing crazy things outside of church. Lord, if you'd have just shown up and we can go person by person and probably fill in the blank where that has been true in your life at some point or time. Lord, if you had just been here, this would not have happened. That's where Martha's at right now. You know, I'm beginning to learn that uh, as, as human beings, we're different, right? You're gonna experience different things than I'm gonna experience. And I'm gonna experience different things than you'll experience and all those things. But there are certain things that just bond us together in the human experience. And, and one of those things is, I, I don't care how old you are, how, however long you live this earth, if you live long enough, you will experience pain and you will experience suffering, won't you? It's just the reality of living in a sin-scarred world, isn't it? And was it God's plan? No, but it's what happens because of sin, right? The sin has just scarred and marred this world. So if you live long enough, you are probably going to find yourself in a situation like Martha, where the pain and the suffering is inevitable and there's questions to what should you do and how do you respond? And that's the question we got to wrestle with today, isn't it? But because if you're here and you name the name of Christ and you've placed your faith in Jesus and the reality of it is, I should probably respond to pain and suffering different than someone who does not know Jesus. Shouldn't I? If I know the living hope that we just sang about, I should probably respond to situations and circumstances in my life differently than someone who does not place their faith in Christ. So how do we respond? How can we be encouraged in the midst of that? And I tell you what, I love John 11 because I really believe that John 11 points us to three different ways that we can have encouragement in the midst of our pain. And the first thing is this, that in the midst of pain and suffering, John 11 reminds us that we have hope in the midst of our pain. We have hope in the midst of our pain. Look at what the story goes on in verse 22. Martha says, yet even now, 
I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, this sounds great, doesn't it? Like Jesus, even now, I know that whatever you ask, God's gonna give you. But how many of y'all have ever said something, but you didn't mean it? You ever seen that person in like the grocery store or something? Man, hey, it's so good to see you, man. And the last time y'all saw each other, it was just like chaos. Just me. I might be the most unspiritual person here. I've thought that before. I see someone, hey man, it's so good to see you. And in my head, I'm like, I wish I would not have run into you right now. <laughs> How many times, and I've had this in my life too, something goes on in my life or something happens and someone says, man, just want to encourage you, man. God's got a plan. Man, God's working this out. And I just respond to man, I know I'm trusting the Lord. And I say that with my mouth, but I do not mean it in my heart. Because y'all know as Christians, there's things we're supposed to say, right? Has anyone taught you that yet? that as Christians, there are certain things you're supposed to say. So God's working it out. He's got a plan. His way is better than my way. He, he must become greater and I must become less. All good things. But sometimes we can say things with our mouth that we don't mean in our heart. And Martha here is saying one of those things. You say, Justin, how do you know that? Well, she just said, Jesus, whatever you ask, God will give you. Well, just in a few verses, we're gonna see that they go out to the tomb and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, Lord, he's already been there for four days. His body smells. So, so basically on one hand, Jesus, whatever you ask, God will give you. But then the next few verses, Jesus says, let's go out to the tomb, move the stone. And Martha's like, Lord, no, it doesn't do any good. It's no use. See, she's just saying this because she knows she's supposed to say it. So look at what Jesus does. This conversation gets weird. If you study Jesus long enough, he gets in some weird conversations with people and it's awesome. Verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. Straight to the point. Matter of fact, your brother will rise again. And this is the weird part. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I don't know about you, but that's not how I'm responding to that. If Jesus says your brother will rise again, I'm thinking there's the grave. Let's go get him. Let's go reverse this situation a little bit. But instead, Jesus says your brother will rise again. And Martha just simply responds, I know he will. At the resurrection of the last day, I know it. So they're obviously talking about something different here, aren't they? So, so what's going on? Well, there was this Jewish belief and this Jewish conviction that, that for the one who placed their faith and trust in God, for, for the one who followed God and had their faith in him, here was their belief that God would ultimately not abandon them to the grave. That the cemetery was not the final home for those who placed their faith and trust in God. This is a Jewish belief. So let me show you one place where that is. Um, Psalm 16. Let me just read this to you. Psalm 16, David is writing this. Paul quotes this sermon in his uh, sermon at Pentecost. And listen to what David writes. This is the Old Testament. He says this, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure for listen to this, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What is David saying there? David is facing death in the eyes and he's saying, even in the midst of death, my body can rest secure that I have hope because even if I close my eyes in death, God is not going to abandon me to the grave, but he will raise me up again. That, that's what the Jewish people believe. So you can see that in Isaiah 26, verse 19. You can see it in Daniel 12, verses one through two. And there's other places in the Bible where you could see where the Jewish people had this belief. So when Jesus says, Martha, your brother's gonna rise again, Martha's like, I know he is. In the last days, God's gonna raise up those who place their faith and trust in him. But you know what I wonder? This had to be going through a mind. Jesus, I get that that is like a distant hope for me. 
Jesus, I get that that matters for me in the future, but Jesus, that does not help me right now. You ever had those times when you walk away from church and it's like, man, I get that, but how does that help me right here and right now in this moment? I gotta be wondering if Martha was thinking that. Like, I get that that's a great future thing to have my hopes set on, but right now my brother is in the grave and let's be honest, this is a pretty terrible day. Right, right now my brother is dead and that future hope doesn't really help me all that much. You have to think that she was thinking that, but oh man, I love what Jesus's response is. Because what Jesus is about to do in this story is Jesus is about to take her future hope and turn that into a present reality. He's about to take something that she has her future hope set on and say, Martha, I get that you're hoping for this in the future, but I am bringing something to you that has implications here and now. Listen to what Jesus says in response to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's saying, Martha, you're, you're hoping for something in the future. And Jesus is saying, I'm here right now. Can I just remind you, Jesus can change your life right here and right now. Uh, this is not something like if you place your faith and trust in Christ and this is something like a process, it's like, okay, like I gotta wait for this until I die. Then I get to see heaven. That's great. Listen, I can't wait to see the new heaven, new earth that Jesus is creating for us. I can't wait to see that. But Jesus provides things here and now for us. And he said, Martha, you're hoping for this future thing. But in this statement right here, Jesus is saying, I am currently the greatest hope to you in your situation. Man, man aren't you grateful that our hope this morning is not just in a system, like our hope is not in just the religious works that I can accumulate for myself. Cause I don't know about you, but I'd be in trouble, right? Cause I might be able to preach on Sunday mornings, but I still get mad in traffic. No one else, just me. I still get mad, right? If my hope was in my ability to accumulate religious works for myself, I would be in trouble. I'm glad our hope is not in a church. Man, I love Connect Church and it's so exciting to see what God's doing, but this church cannot save you. This church points you to the one who can, but in and of itself, it can't. Man, I'm grateful that Jesus is reminding us here and he's reminding Martha that in the midst of your greatest need, in the midst of Martha's most intense, dark circumstance of her life, Jesus says, I am all the hope that you need. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he too shall live. Jesus reminds us in pain and in suffering that he is our hope. And I love what Martha responds. She says, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Great statement, great statement. But she still has no idea where this thing's going, does she? She just says, so look what happens. We see that Jesus is the hope amidst our pain and suffering. But I love John 11 because it reminds us also that Jesus is present with us in our pain and our suffering. He's present with us. Look at what verse 32 says. Says as soon as Mary, Martha's sister, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved and his spirit was troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. 
we have this thing back home uh, in Indian Trail called Awanas. You probably maybe have heard of it, but Awanas, the big goal of Awanas is to get you to memorize scripture. So every single Wednesday night you come in and you have a new passage of scripture to memorize. And it never happened, but I always wanted to turn to the next week and see that my passage of scripture to memorize was John eleven thirty five. right? Jesus wept. You just memorized scripture this morning. If you memorize those two words, you memorized it. I always wanted that to be it and it never was, right? But I used to think like, what a small and seemingly in my mind, insignificant verse. That's what I used to think. But man, how amazing is it that in Mary and Martha's literally probably the most darkest point of their life to date. And Jesus is just there. Jesus is just with them. I remember I graduated from Anderson University and we were in a pastoral care class one time and we went to the hospital and we met and interviewed uh, the chaplain that was there with that hospital. And um, I learned very quickly, if the Lord calls me there, I'm gonna need prayers because I was like, the chaplain in a hospital might be one of the worst jobs ever. Like what an incredible opportunity to minister to people. But basically as a job, a chaplain in a hospital, you just watch people die every day. I mean, this guy had been in ministry for 15 years as the chaplain in this hospital. And he told us that he had had, I can't even fathom this, but he had had over 5,000 thank you cards sent to him of people who lost a loved one and that chaplain was in the hospital room with them. 5,000. And that's just the people who sent cards. I mean, this guy every day is surrounded by people in literally the darkest moments of their life. And I'll never forget what he said because a difficult thing as a pastor sometimes, like what do I say in difficult moments? You know, when you're going through the line at a, at a funeral, what, what do I say? What's the words do I say? And, and I'll never forget what this guy said. He said, out of those 5,000 plus cards, he said, two of them, two of them, the person wrote in there, thank you for when you said and quoted them. Two out of 4,998 plus cards said, thank you for when you said this. All of the other ones simply said this, thank you for just being there. Thank you for just showing up and just being there in our darkest moment. You know, what's amazing here with Jesus is, is Jesus could have done a number of things, couldn't he? Like Jesus could have lectured them on their unbelief, right? Jesus could have walked in this room and sees everybody crying. He's like, boy, why y'all crying? Y'all seen me feed 5,000 people. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me make blind people see, lame people walk. You've seen all these things. Why are you crying right now? He could have lectured them on their unbelief. He could have, this is probably what I would have done because just being honest, this is probably what I would have done. He could have sat in the corner and maybe had like a sly little grin on his face because he knows what's about to happen. So you're crying now, but boys, I'm about to blow your minds, right? He could have done all that. He could have done any of those things, but instead of doing those things, what does Jesus do? He's simply with them. He's simply with them. He doesn't leave with them and he simply just cries tears with Mary and Martha. Man, can I tell you, some of you in this room, you might've been in moments where you felt like you didn't know what was gonna happen and you felt like you didn't know where you were gonna turn and what was gonna go on, but you learned that God's word is true in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse six, where it says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You learn that his word is true in Psalms 46, one, where it says that he is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of need. That you learned in Isaiah 41, 10 to not fear for God is always with us. And you learned in Psalms 23 that even though I walk through the darkest valley, that God is my shepherd and he will not leave my side. 
You learned those things are true. You know, I'm grateful for all the titles that Jesus gets in the Bible. King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God, the Bread of Life, the Resurrection and the Life here. I I love those titles, but you know what one resonates with me maybe the most? Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. That in the darkest moments of our life, Jesus is there. He's present. I mean, I love John 11 in the midst of pain and suffering because it reminds me that there's hope amidst our pain. Reminds us that Jesus is present in our pain. And maybe my favorite, thirdly, reminds us of this. There's purpose in our pain. There's purpose in our pain. Look at how this story comes to a conclusion. Verse 38, listen to this. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Now here's Martha, right? Same one who just said, Lord, whatever you ask, God will give you. Here she is. She's saying, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. But Jesus tells her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Now listen to this. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. Man, do you see what Jesus just did there? In this moment, Jesus just makes us aware of the fact that he did not forget about Lazarus. Jesus did not drop the ball and he did not just show up late. But but Jesus has been allowing this thing to happen, orchestrating this thing to happen because there's people there who need to take their faith and place their faith in Christ. And Jesus is saying that this circumstance is happening so that people might come to know me. Man, aren't you grateful that for Mary and Martha, their pain was not wasted? That the tears that they cried was not in vain? Man, aren't you just grateful that we serve a God who is able to take good things, yes, but maybe more importantly for our life, bad things and turn them into good and turn them for his glory. So I'm just telling you what, if God could only use good things in your life and good things in my life, I don't know if he'd be God. If God could only use good things in my life, if he could only use things that made sense to me, then it'd be kind of a small, limited God, wouldn't it be? But no, God is able to take the good, the bad, the mediocre, the seemingly insignificant. God is able to turn those for good and for his glory in our life. Let's call Joseph up here this morning, right? Joseph in the Bible, what happens to Joseph? He gets this dream that God's gonna do an amazing work in his life, that his brothers are gonna bow down to him. Yet what happens in Joseph's life? He sees the bottom of a pit. He sees slavery. He sees imprisonment. He sees all those things. It seemed like his life was going south, but yet he he gets to the end and he looks at his brothers and says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What about Job? Where Job has everything going for him and then Job experiences immense loss and immense suffering. Yet by the end of the book of Job, God blesses him twofold over. What about Paul? If we could get Paul up here to preach Romans 8 for us this morning, where he's talking to Christians who are being martyred for their faith. Christians who are being killed for just naming the name of Jesus. And yet Paul writes through them and he says that God is working all things, all things, even the martyrdom of your brothers and sisters. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Aren't you grateful this morning that God is able to take even situations like the loved one, like a brother dying, and he's able to turn them for good and for his glory. 
What good news is that? That there's purpose in the pain and suffering that we face. But I just got news for you, just to be honest. All of that means nothing if Jesus cannot raise Lazarus up from the grave. Right? I said this in the nine o'clock service and they looked at me kind of shocked, but I'm gonna say it again. If Jesus can't raise up the dead from the grave, then we need to follow someone else. Like if Jesus can't answer your greatest need, because what's our greatest need? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So death is your greatest problem and it's my greatest problem. That if you live life long enough, that is inevitably going to come. So we need someone who can beat death for us, don't we? We need someone who can conquer death for us. So if Jesus can't raise Lazarus from the dead, we need to follow someone else. Because then Jesus apparently can't meet our biggest need. But I love what verse 43 says. What does verse 43 say? It says this. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out bound with hand and foot, with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Might be my favorite verse of the whole thing. He's saying he's wearing dead man's clothes. He's not dead anymore. He has no need for him. Man, aren't you grateful that John 11 reminds us that there's hope amidst our pain? His name is Jesus. That Jesus is present with us in our pain. He's not absent. And finally, and aren't you grateful that there's purpose in our pain? That the God is able to take the good things, the bad things, the mediocre, the in-between all things and work them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his 